What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to the Jake Podcast. It is Friday, June 1st, and yes, I can't even hide it. Last night was game one of the NBA Finals. Uh, if we want to, before we dive into that game, probably got to recap the conference finals first. Cleveland, last time we talked, was in a bit of a hole. They got by Boston because basically LeBron James willed them to do it. Uh, he was. Great in Game 7 on the road. Uh, they took care of Game 6 at home just fine. Uh, but uh, Game 7 on the road was a tight game back and forth. And then late in the game, LeBron was LeBron James. And Boston couldn't do anything about it. Uh, both teams shot very poorly. It was a low-scoring game. And uh, in a Game 7, Boston you know, kind of showed their youth. And the Cavaliers, or at least LeBron James, showed what he... You know what he's all about, and that he belongs. The guy is six and two in, in career game sevens. When it's on the line, he performs, and he usually delivers uh, a victory. So that was in the East, and in the West, the Warriors had to climb out of their three-two hole as well. They beat Houston at home uh, in what was a tight game for a while, even without Chris Paul on the floor. And then late in the third quarter, into the early fourth, Golden State blew him out. And that kind of gave them the momentum going into Houston for Game 7. And uh, that's all it really took. And uh, Houston missed a billion three-pointers but blamed the refs. Uh, usually I don't like blaming the refs, but I'll get to that in a second. Uh, but they missed like something like 27 three-pointers in a row. And when you do that, you're not going to beat the Golden State Warriors. It's just not going to happen. Especially since Houston has gotten this far this season on the three-point ball. So... Western Conference Finals, Golden State Warriors 1-7. Eastern Conference Finals, Cleveland Cavaliers 1-7. Which means the 2018 NBA Finals will be the four-peat of the Cleveland Cavaliers and Golden State Warriors. With this one being the most lopsided line going into the series. Uh, last few years, it's been a little bit tighter. Even though the Warriors have been kind of the favorite each time. Each time they were able, you know, it was a tight one each one, you know. Uh, if you go back to 2015, Warriors one in six, but that was without Love and Kyrie. 2016, Cavaliers one in seven. In 2017, the Warriors ended up winning in five, but if you look at some of those games, it's a very tight, tight game three that the Cavaliers should have won. The Cavs blew them out in game four. And honestly, outside of one game in that series, they were all tight games. So, these teams know each other. This shouldn't have been a surprise that these teams got here. Some people, like Stephen A. Smith, were complaining about this four-peat. A lot of people saying the Cavs don't belong and they won't win a game or uh, they'll be blown out of the gym a couple times. And I understand where everyone's coming from, but I think the problem is not a lot of people were giving LeBron James enough credit. We're giving the Cavaliers credit of saying, listen, when it matters, they deliver. It's not pretty, but we know that. Haven't we learned that over the last four years out of this LeBron second era with Cleveland? You know, he comes to town. He wins the games that are important. In seasons past, he would take off two weeks, or the team would go through some funk at the end of January into February. There are a lot of things that made you want to hate this team, but if you paid attention to the end result... It was never about like the journey or the path there. They always delivered when it mattered most. So that's why I tried to go into the series and say, listen, they're going to lose games. 
they might lose four games. Uh, there's a good chance that happens. Uh, but even though there's going to be a blowout in there, there's going to be a game when Sean Livingston goes off for 18 and uh, you know Steph Curry goes seven for eight from three and, and they don't even ask Draymond Green to do anything because it's basically over in the third quarter. There's going to be a game like that. I kind of thought it, it's going to be either a really tight game one or it would be a blowout and, and the Warriors would cruise. But I thought one of the first two games would be a Warriors cruise and the other one was going to be really tight and that the Cavaliers would have to win the tight game. And if the Cavaliers do win one in Golden State and they just win one in Cleveland and this becomes a 2-2 series going back to Golden State for Game 5, I do think the Cavaliers can win the NBA Finals. I know that's a very crazy thing for me to say. I know it's somewhat looking back now that Game 1 happened last night. But anyone that knows me knows that I always stay very positive about my teams when I can. I always look at the bright side and I always look for the best possible case scenario. So, that's all the lead up, right? We had a lot of fun on this path to the Finals. Four straight years where the Cleveland Cavaliers basically have ended eras of Toronto basketball. Uh, Indiana has been in the graveyard of LeBron James. The Knicks had an opening for a second. Uh, the Atlanta Hawks were a 60-win team a couple times. Yet all it comes down to is what LeBron James does and finishes them off. Um, <clears throat> coming into this finals, the media narrative is simple. It was all they cared to talk about is LeBron versus MJ, LeBron's next uh, next team that he's going to play for, how bad the supporting cast is, which, by the way, it's not as bad as they're saying. Yes, it's played horribly, but if you for one second think this is as bad as the team he took to the finals in 2007, you know, his first trip to the fi finals when Ira Newble and Drew Gooden and Sasha Pavlovich and uh, Eric Snow were the, like, contributing scorers, I mean, come on. This team has Kevin Love. While Kevin Love is slumped, Kevin Love's an all-star. You know, he's an Olympian. And they have other guys like George Hill who has been in the playoffs. J.R. Smith, which I know a lot of people will laugh when I say J.R. Smith now, but J.R. Smith has proven to be big in big moments. He'll also look bad in other moments, but he does make his shots. Kyle Korver, one of the best three-point shooters of all time. So no, this is not the worst supporting group he has ever had. It is, this group has not played well. And I, I won't deny that. Um, but coming into this finals, you know, game one, I thought, all right, try not to get too down on myself about this game, right? There is a good chance that they'd be blown out. They haven't played well. The last couple of game ones have kind of been the feel it out game, which, you know, you kind of look at this team and say, this is bullshit. They should just go out there and win. You don't have to feel out the Warriors. You played them four straight finals. So shouldn't you know by now? And they didn't. They didn't do the feel them out. Uh, they came out pretty strong. They led after the first. They should have been leading at halftime, but uh, a couple blunders right at the end of the half got Steph Curry open for a buzzer-beating three, and they went into halftime tied. It was a very tight first half, but the Cavs, without hitting a lot of open shots, were in a tie game. Going later into the game, Warriors go on their run to start the third. Everyone kind of saw that coming. Right, you know, it's okay. The third quarter Warriors plus third quarter Cavs equal this game's over. But the Cavs came back, tied that one up, and then late in the fourth, they took the lead. But 
and I hate to blame this on officiating. I I don't want to ever be the guy that you know blames a game on refs, but I've never seen an officiating game be so universally negative, right? Like everybody, not just the Cavs fans, everybody thought the refs really screwed the Cavs on this one. There were multiple plays that you thought, well, it wouldn't be called for the other team. You know, Kevin Durant was, uh, you know, the ball was basically blocked by George Hill. They called it a foul. LeBron drives the lane and Kevin Looney, you know, nails him in the arm. Should have been a foul. You would have think LeBron gets that foul call. Instead, it leads to fast break the other way, and Kevin Durant goes the line. It was just inconsistent, you know? And then they go back, and they flip-flop on a call that, whether you believe it was a block or a charge, they called it a charge. Then they went to review on the field, or on the court. They wanted to review if he was in the restricted area, which it was pretty obvious that he wasn't in there. So if you're not reviewing that, you're not allowed to review at all. So where's the angle by the refs? Were they really reviewing that? And then they changed something else and said, oh, you know what? Yes, he wasn't in the restricted area. Okay, it's a charge. No, no, no. But what we also saw, it's like, it's no, it's not about what you also saw. It's about what you were reviewing. So that's like, you know, I'm not I'm, if any of you are Cleveland fans, which I'm assuming a few of you are, this is Bottlegate all over again. They reviewed something they weren't allowed to review. And whether or not you believe they got the call right, you can't be that selective with your reviewing. You know, there's rules in place for these certain things. So if they're going to review that and not review other things, it's like, well, then we're going to be here all night reviewing everything, or we're just going to select the plays that we want to review. Now, if they had left that as a charge, it would have been Cavaliers ball up to 36 seconds left. I'm very confident they would have won that game. Now, you can't play the what-if card, but later they were in the spot. You know, Durant made the two. LeBron then runs down the court and takes the two right back. Then Steph Curry has a three-point play on a, on a drive where he got hacked in the, on the head. And then coming down the court, all right, Cavs are down one. Is LeBron going to take the final shot? There's four seconds left. He sees somebody draped all over George Hill right underneath the basket, and he dimes. Some people will say, oh, LeBron gave up the ball. with the No, LeBron made a pass to a guy he knew that would either make a layup or get fouled. That's exactly what happened. George Hill was fouled. So George Hill goes in line, makes the first free throw, misses the second free throw like all of us thought he would, and then J.R. Smith gets the rebound, and whether or not you believe his excuse uh, he ran out the clock. Now, he said that he was trying to find an open shot, right? That he knew the score and was trying to find the open man. But none of us really believe that. And I'm okay with him lying because it's a very embarrassing thing. This didn't lose the Cavs the game. It is very fun for Twitter and the national media, it's easy for the national media. I'm like, the moment this happened, I said, all right, well, Stephen A. doesn't even have to point out that the Cavs played really well. He can just point out that J.R. Smith embarrassed himself. This isn't the first time J.R. Smith has done this either. He did this with the Knicks right before he was traded to Cleveland. So, all right, so it happened. He dribbled it out, and then once it got to overtime, the Warriors pushed the pace. They got some shots. The Cavs were putting up bad shots, and... Anytime you turn the ball over 
or put up bad wild shots against the Warriors, it gives them a chance to run, and that always leads to points for them. It is the one thing that I have learned watching these t- this team in the finals the last three-plus years now is that they just don't give them the opportunities. Make them play one-on-one ball. When they play one-on-one ball, they're a pretty good team. When they play their fast break, passing, open man, open looks, feed the next guy, they're impossible to beat. That's when guys like Iguodala and Sean Livingston and Leandro Barbosa and JaVale McGee and Kevon Looney and Jordan Bell, when those role players, that's how they shine. They don't shine by creating their own shots. They shine by everyone is draped all over Steph, all over Kevin Durant, and all of a sudden there's a wide open guy cutting to the basket. They make a dunk. Everyone goes nuts. Steph Curry is shaking his ass. And it's and and the Warriors are at their peak when they're doing that, when they're not relying on somebody's got to beat somebody one-on-one. That has never been their game. And it's how they've been playing poorly in the playoffs is when you let them you know, do the one-on-one game. Regardless. Look, it, it was a frustrating finish, but this loss isn't on JR. He had a big boneheaded mistake, and it's easy to point to him because, yes, that he cost them a chance at winning the game. Uh, I think, I, I mean, honestly, a lot of people dropped the ball, though. We could have called a timeout. George Hill should have hit that free throw. Um, I mean, JR. I don't think he takes that layup if he knew the score. I think he'd look for a pass anyway. LeBron was pretty wide open at the three-point line. That kind of sucked. But, I mean, a lot of it was what you expect, right? The refs were not good. They reversed that call. That was big. They tossed Tristan Thompson for fouling Sean Livingston on a jump shot where he only made contact at the elbow. And it's not like he ran through him. He came at him pretty hard, but the contact was light. Like, Sean Livingston didn't fall over anything. And a lot of people were saying, well, you shouldn't be playing hard down 10 with 20 seconds left. And and I'm thinking, well, if Sean Livingston is going to take the jump shot, Tristan Thompson should be allowed to contest the jump shot. And while he's getting thrown out and waiting for his explanation, Draymond Green is sitting there just taunting. You know, he's clapping. He's doing dances. He's yelling. I mean... Look, you can like Draymond Green, but you're being selective about what you like if you'd want to defend him and his antics. Like, he's a shitty person. Like, he is always trying to just get under the skin of others. And while, yes, that might work, it's like he's a little punk. He complains about everything. He, I mean, he's basically making LeBron's eye bleed. He, like, poked him right in the eye, hit him across the face. And wouldn't you know it, Draymond didn't foul him. You know, Draymond was like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? He like he looks like he's offended when he gets called for foul in the most obvious foul calls. It's like you have to remember that when you want to defend this guy. It's like, look, this guy will argue anything. He's basically a soccer player out there faking injuries every time he makes contact. And then when he doesn't, he just runs around more. It's It's one of the many things that was frustrating about that game. My prediction in this series was Cavs and seven. That hasn't changed. Last night would have been an unbelievable start to the series. If they won game one, and and if they held on, if they didn't flip that call and the Cavs score one more bucket, take a four-point lead with 20 seconds left, they hold on. The only thing people would be talking about was, wow, where was Kevin Durant? You know, where was Kevin Durant in the fourth quarter? All he had were three points, and they were all uh, free throws. 
in overtime, he didn't take any shots. You now, if that game didn't get to overtime, but Kevin Durant down the stretch, he didn't defend LeBron well. He wasn't like the alpha dog. Steph Curry was really good last night. He was great. Klay Thompson and Draymond Green for stretches, you never knew they were on the floor. I mean, and, and and nobody was really knocking down shots. If you think for one second watching this series that the Cavaliers have no chance to beat the Warriors, I guess we have nothing to talk about. Because from what I saw last night, LeBron James was superhuman, scored 51 points, and as much as I want, as everyone wants to say, oh, well, he's not going to do that again. Well, he's been sh- proving people wrong every game this season and the last few seasons when everyone wants to count him out. That's when he proves you wrong. So I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt. His team didn't show up when it mattered most. Now, are the Cavs going to make that many boneheaded plays again? Yeah, you know, prob- they'll probably make more, but... They will they happen all in crucial time if uh, they have a chance in the fourth quarter to win the game. I think they can win game two. I obviously would have loved the game one victory, right? That way you don't have to worry so much about game two. And then you just worry about the home games because you shifted the home court advantage. Instead, they now are desperate for a game two victory. Hopefully, Ty Lue's right when he says that, you know, they aren't broken. They aren't disheartened. They feel like they got screwed, but they're going to come out ready to play. Sunday night, we will tell. I think LeBron's going to bring it each one of these games. Steve Kerr, I don't think he's going to make adjustments. I think Ty Lue will have to make adjustments as we go through the, through the series. But if I was Ty Lue, I wouldn't really make adjustments. Maybe I would add minutes here and there for different players. But I don't think he's going to be adjust, um, adjusting after game one so much. And if I'm Steve Kerr, I would adjust to defend LeBron better, but at the same time, I don't think he's going to do that because Steve Kerr is the type of coach that says, like, I trust these guys. They know what they're doing. Uh, I love my team, and uh, I'm going to let them go out there and win it. So I think the Cavs still have an opening to win game two, and I kind of think they will. Uh, And then it goes from there. I, I told you exactly what I thought. So my message to the Cavs, you know, Kevin Love, he he did well. I think he he did really well. Uh, George Hill's got to hit that free throw. Uh, other than that, I like the way he played. I like the way he defended. J.R. Smith, J.R. Smith hit shots. He hit some big shots. Now I don't like him when he's dribbling and he's cr- trying to create his own shot. I love when someone wings it to him. He takes one dribble and kind of fades away and hits that three. That's his play, and he made that a couple times. Kyle Korver, he stepped up after a couple misses, made a big three. The team as a whole needs to make their, these threes more, and they need to get back on defense. But I wouldn't really adjust much of what they did because they should have won that game. Hopefully, the refs might give the Cavs a couple breaks and the Cavs steal game two. That's something I would really like uh, because the touchy foul calls went one way, uh, the big turn obviously with the charge block I mean it never happens that's never happened it happened in a regular season game with the Thunder and and the Pacers but that's a December basketball game when refs are allowed to make mistakes you can't make mistakes like that on this stage and it's not about if it was a charge or a block it's about what you're allowed to do hey it was tough it was a tough game one. 
but I am not down and out on this team. I want to see how they play in game two. And I'm not going to be the one that if they win game two, you're going to hear some people say they could be up 2-0. Shut up. That's not the case. The Warriors would play so differently in game two if they had lost game one. So I think the woulda, coulda, shouldas, you got to keep that separate. Game two, Sunday night, 8 o'clock, we will, we will certainly see. I think that will be the change in the series. We'll find out if it's going to be a quick series or we'll find out if this is going seven. I think if the Cavs win game two, this series goes seven. You know, you compare this to the last few finals, right? You thought, okay, the Cavs, what are their odds here, right? They lose game one in overtime. Okay. Sounds familiar, right? Because in 2015, they did the same thing. They go to Oracle, the Warriors-Cavs' first matchup in the finals. Game one goes to overtime. Kyrie gets hurt. Kevin Love was already out for the playoffs at that point. And then Cavs lose in overtime, even though they had chances to win it. Uh, Game two, the Cavaliers won that game without Kyrie, without Love. So I know that, yes, Kevin Durant is now on that team, but I, I think the Cavs are a better team this year than what they had in 2015 when Matthew Delvadova, Timofey Mozgov were the next guys up. This is, a, I mean, and, and that was when J.R. Smith was horrible that year. You know, at least this year he's making some threes and he's defending really well. But this Cavalier supporting squad is better than what they had in game two of the 2015 finals. So they rebounded off of an overtime loss and they won. And then they won game three with the same squad I just mentioned with Matthew Della Vadova. So if you compare it to that, yeah, this they have a chance. In 2016, obviously they were down 2-0, they were down 3-1, and they came back from that. And that was the 73-9 team. Now they had Kyrie Irving killing it, but Kevin Love was practically useless for a whole lot of time in that series. Game 1s have not been fair to the Cavaliers over the last few years, but they have proven that after that Game 1, they've been able to bounce back and make it a series. Even if you don't think the 2017 series was close, the two games that the Cavs played at home was a blowout victory and a game that they blew late in the game that if Kyle Korver hit that corner three when LeBron hit him for a perfect time, it's game over. If they defend Durant and he doesn't have that pull-up 30-foot three-pointer, they win that game. Everything late in that game fell right for the, the Warriors to win that game, and they stole game three and kind of ripped out the hearts of Cleveland. So this series is not over. And for all the people that picked the Warriors in four, Warriors in five, and said that the Cavs have no business here and that this is all about LeBron posturing for the next move, you know, maybe he is gone. I haven't decided yet because I think there's still chips in play here. I think uh, the finals outcome does kind of play into what he might do. I think the number eight overall pick kind of plays and what they might be able to do in free agency. So I'm not even going to entertain LeBron future talk just yet. I think that's July talk. But in a, it's the narrative needs to change. This, this Cavaliers team belongs. Even though they looked bad at some points, 
they belong because they know that when their backs are against the wall, they know how to do it and what to do. Do you really think the Celtics would be like in the spot they were last that the Cavs were at last night? Chance to win the game late. So Marcus Morris can talk some shit. You know, Al Horford when his turnaround jump shot a couple times a game, like you know, the young guys would have been too green for this too. This was not the Celtics might have had a better supporting cast, but you need LeBron James if you want to beat the Warriors. Because in the past four playoffs, LeBron James is the only guy that has been able to do it. Okay? You know, Kyrie Irving came up huge in those games too. And I thought maybe he should get some votes for MVP. But there's one thing about leading the team and there's another thing about hitting some big shots. LeBron James, his series isn't over. And and I am not done on the Cavs just yet. So... Anyway, moving on. Game two is Sunday. I expect a very competitive battle. If it's a blowout, that would be a real bummer because you really don't want to see them get blown out after the tough loss. All right, that's enough basketball for now. Uh, we got a couple couple little segments we want to do. Uh, first, I'm going to do my one-minute movie review. Uh Going a little back on this one. I haven't seen a new movie this week. There's a lot of basketball to be watched. I've been watching some hockey. Uh, excited for the Stanley Cup Finals. That was a lot of fun. But I uh, so went to the vault and saw an old movie that I had never seen before. Shallow Hal, starring Jack Black and Gwyneth Paltrow. Now, I didn't know what to expect. I kind of assumed this was just going to be a bad comedy. And it turns out uh, it was a bad comedy. I didn't like it at all. And throughout the movie... All I'm thinking to myself is, well, Hal uh, is a womanizer, and even though it's like, all right, Jack Black, he like only looks at women for being attractive. I'm like, it's not like Jack Black is the most attractive guy. Does he really? Where does he get off just choosing these like you know hot women only? So I didn't get that aspect, and uh, and they turned out to be just him and Jason Alexander were just shallow guys, and uh, it took Hal. A very long time to learn his lesson. Like even as he was dating Gwyneth Paltrow, who was apparently ugly and big and and uh, you know apparently just not attractive to what Hal's standards were, he like didn't learn his lesson until the very end of the movie. That like oh it's about what's on the inside because like he then saw kids that were in the burn unit. And when he like got finally snapped back into it, he didn't learn his lesson while he was seeing through the rose-colored glasses. He learned the lesson afterwards when he was like, maybe I'm being a dick. I didn't like the movie. I didn't even want to do a one-minute movie review of it, so I kept it to a short one. This movie was an F. Uh, it's not good. I don't. I don't like it. Sixty F. Whatever the whatever the ruling is. All right, top five. I got a top five movie, summer movie preview. Uh, I, I've been looking at a couple of the movies. I saw Daredevil, which was awesome. Uh, or God damn it, why do I keep saying Daredevil? I saw Deadpool, which was awesome. I saw Infinity War twice, which was awesome. But the five movies I want to see this summer. Number five, Ant-Man and the Wasp, right? It's the next one in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, I don't expect a lot of great things for it because... It's one of those standalone movies. I did like the first one. Uh, I really like Evangeline Lilly. I like Michael Douglas. I like Paul Rudd. So 
what's not to like about this movie, but I don't know. I'm just not I'm just not holding it too high, but I have high hopes that maybe they'll introduce Captain Marvel or some someone will show up in this movie that'll kind of keep you on your toes for the next few Marvel movies. All right. Number 4. I'm going with The Incredibles 2. Yes, child's movie, you know. This is uh it's a Disney Pixar movie. It's the first one was one of the all-time best Disney Pixar movies. So, I have very high hopes for Incredibles 2. They are so funny with these like, you know, Toy Story is great. Everyone loves that. So, I don't care that it's a kids movie. I'm still going to probably see it in theaters. Michael once or twice should be just really fun. Excited to see that. Love a good cartoon movie. It's all good for animated. Pixar always delivers. All right. Number three. Uh, we're going with Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. Now, like Ant-Man, I uh, don't have a lot of high expectations, even though this movie's right up my alley. I like, I, I love Jurassic Park. Uh, I like Chris Pratt. The first Jurassic Park was great, though, and ever since then, it's like, it's kind of hard to duplicate, it's to make new stories out of these dinosaurs. Like, it's it's just tough to make the same movie over and change the plot because there's really not a lot of plots that can go around dinosaurs. Now, it's like, okay, the dinosaurs, you're trying to save them from this island that's about to collapse. Do the dinosaurs get into homes of other people? Because it kind of seems like that's where they're going with. Um, it'll be interesting, but I always enjoy these action summer blockbuster movies. Uh, Chris Pratt, I'm a big fan of. I like the Jurassic Park movies in general, so it's on my list. Number two, this. This I changed the standards for. You know, everyone likes a bad movie here and there, right? I am no exception. I love a good bad movie. Uh, and this one, this is coming out in August. Perfect bad movie, shark movie time. I'll probably go with Maggie, who's a big shark movie enthusiast as well. The Meg. Starring Jason Statham, Rain Wilson, and a couple other people I wasn't paying attention to because I was just looking at the biggest shark in the world. It's going to come out right after Shark Week. It's about a megalodon that still exists. It's the size of about like 15 like aircraft carriers. It's going to be great. It's going to kill. It's going to lead to some carnage. I hope it offs a couple of the big movie characters. I hope it lives so that we make like 14 of these movies. It has babies. I don't care. I'll see every single one of these movies if they make a new one every summer. Give me the Meg. I want it. I need it. I'm going to see it in theaters the moment it comes out. Number one might be cheating because it already came out. So, But I still have to watch it, so I still look forward to it. It's Solo, Star Wars Story. I've heard some good things. I've heard some bad things. A lot of people, like the Star Wars diehards, will rate it as like the worst Star Wars movie. But to me, to be honest, I like them all. I think it's going to be good. Uh, it doesn't take a lot to please me in the Star Wars category. If it's somewhere, anywhere near Rogue One, I'm going to love it. Uh, yes, we know that Chewbacca and Lando and Han live, but we don't know about that, about the other characters in this movie. Should be interesting to see if they force Darth Vader into this one. I don't know. I mean, he. I don't know how 
much before the, the Vader does this take place. I'm just pumped. I, I like Star Wars movies. It seems like you know Ron Howard and Co. put a lot of work into this, and they took it seriously. Like this isn't just make a movie to make some money. This was something that they didn't want to tarnish the you know Star Wars story in general. So I have some very high hopes for it. But number one, Solo Star Wars story. That's the most anticipated Jake Summer movie this year. So very excited for that. Uh, yeah, and then my final segment today, before I let you guys go, because it's already been running on a half an hour, and I kind of wanted to keep this one short. The Bachelorette started this week. Boy, it was great. I mean, fireworks, right out of the gate. I, I made my whole family watch it, and they were so happy I made them watch it, because they loved it. Uh, we're going to see some fights going on this season. And it's not like the, the trick fights, right? Like last year when Lee, they tried to make it look like Lee was going to punch Kenny the wrestler. And then, you know, you could see it's like they're wearing different outfits. It's a completely different episode when Kenny's bleeding from when Lenny and, you know, Leah or uh, wants to fight Kenny. Um, but this season looks pretty good. She obviously hooks up with a lot of guys. Just keeping my eye on to see how far some of these guys go. The male model Jordan looks like he might be around for a couple episodes, and he does not like being here. Episode one, we already got a uh, here for the wrong reasons. We got a guy that was sent home because uh, a girl, an ex girlfriend, texted another guy that was there. Uh, the guy Chris that tattled on him. I was like, listen, Chris, that was a big mistake to do that because everybody knows. The moment you tattletale on somebody else that's there, yes, you bring them down, and they usually, like 99% of the time, it works. You bring them down, they're out. But then her version vision of you is, is tainted for the rest of the time because she just looks at you as a guy that is more concerned with the other guys that are there than the girl that's there. And whether that's true or not, it's always just a bad look. So... I think Chris, that was a bad move to kind of, you know, tell her that week one. I would have uh, just stuck to your game, and then as you gained her trust, maybe bring it up later down the road, saying, "Hey, listen, I got a text from a girl, and I didn't want to bring this up, uh, but you know, her ex-boyfriend is on the show, and she says he's here for the wrong reasons." Not to mention Becca, who I'm a big fan of. <coughs> Sorry for the cough. Um. She sent home a guy that she knew from home. And usually the guy from home stays for a couple weeks, but it sounds like he was a bit of a party animal at home. Now, he tried to go with the whole, oh, uh, I'm a changed guy. Uh, I've done a big transformation in the last uh, in the last year, which was great. Uh, Jared Freed pointed that out. He was like, your big transformation was... Uh, you didn't get wasted at the Christmas party when you saw her. So, like, yes, you used to make a dipshit of yourself, and uh, guess what? You did that one less time this year. So, and I believe Jared when he says that. I'm like, yeah, this guy, he's got to go. So, she sent home the guy that obviously had the cell phone thing, and then she sent home the guy from the hometown. I liked my first impression. Rose was was also Garrett. She gave it to Garrett. Uh, I thought he did a great job. He was really funny in his little hometown 
preview where he did an awesome Chris Farley in, um, imitation. He's got a nice smile, like good looking guy. Like like he seems like he's going to be around for a while. Uh, she seems like she's going to be really into him. Uh, I think it was Colton that talked about the V card. That's big. Uh, I don't know how long into the season that is, but she looks like she's going to be hanging with him a lot. They're my two big ones right now. I like those two and Wills, who I don't even know who that guy is. But every time I watched, he's like in another scene. you know. And I was like, geez, this guy's going to be around for a while. She's making out with him a lot. Uh, they kind of like hid a few of the guys saying I love you. But I think Wills is one of those guys. Look out for Lincoln. He's going to be a troublemaker. And uh, apparently if you do a little social media dive, he is a bit of a troublemaker. So I think watch out for Lincoln. Watch out for Jordan. Obviously the male model is a problem. Uh, but my final hometown visit, I'm going with Connor. And Connor is going to stick around for a little bit. Uh, it just seems like there's like, you know, there's always like that one guy. Uh, I don't know. I kind of want to go with Blake. No. This is a really tough call. Uh, but I, I'm going to go with Blake. He's, he looks nice. She looks like she gets along with him really well. So my final four, rolling with Garrett who I think should be one of the front runners. I think everybody's on top of him right now. Uh, we'll see if uh, the social media, you know, he has some, apparently some, like, social media problems out there with, like, some bad tweets or whatever because they're always out there. Colton, the former football player, Blake, Garrett, and Wills. I think those are my top four. Should be very interesting going forward. Going to have a couple guests on this year to talk Bachelorette. It's very exciting. It's one of the only shows I really watch in the summer, so excited to include it uh, into uh, my new repertoire to get that going. So anyway, uh, that's the end of the episode. Had a lot of fun uh, watching The Bachelorette. Hopefully next time I talk to you guys, the Cavaliers are in a better position. We'll talk Bachelorette. We'll do another movie review. Uh, we will talk Crown. I just finished season one of The Crown. I'm going to finish Riverdale season one as well this weekend. So we're going to talk a couple Netflix shows that have been coming to me recently. And then other things, uh, we'll go into some of my favorite sports calls ever. We've got a lot going on this summer. I hope you enjoy the Jake podcast. See you next week. Thanks, guys. Have a good weekend.